Welcome to As You Were. Do it one more time. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's Prevent This Tragedy. weird to do a peppy intro for this song this is what i feel like i did there yeah uh, i mean this week it's prevent this tragedy it would be more appropriate it's it's like it's like bukowski like sitting at the end of the bar this week Rrr. it's prevent this tragedy on as you were a podcast about alkaline trio where every week we talk about one alkaline trio song my name is Tim Crisp. My name is David Anthony, not Charles Bukowski. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where we we got called out uh, recently on Twitter for saying As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio a lot at the intro. And I just want to say that we here at As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio love to just make sure that those listening to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio know that they're listening to as you were a podcast about alkaline trio i fail to see the problem that's all i'm saying it's it's like you're 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 listening to it for the first time you want to know who these people are and what they're doing and their name is as you were and they're doing a podcast about alkaline trio i mean it's very dense material you know so hey we're here and we're here to discuss an alkaline trio song from Crimson, the band's fifth LP, and this is track number 10 on Crimson. If it's not 10, then it's 9. I don't think it's 9 because 9 is I Was a Prayer, yeah, which I we discussed this, previously. Back to Hell, and then Your Neck, and then Smoke. That's right. Uh, I, That's... We'll get to this more later. The end of this record tapers off for me in my brain. Um, we will get to this later. But... Here's where I want to start, because I've made a joke on this podcast several times, because uh, I'm very funny, and driving it home just makes it funnier. It's the best thing you can do in comedy is to explain the joke yes. so that people can fully realize how funny it is and why they're laughing. Exactly. And one of the things I've said and one of my big complaints about Modern Alkaline Trio is is when Matt gets into that mode of not being able to write about himself and his own experiences, and I'm always like, oh, he's just writing about books he's read and movies he saw and blah, 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 blah. And this is one of the songs I put in that bucket, which I'll admit is somewhat uncharitable because I, I don't hate this song. But the subject matter of this song, uh, it's always been a little... I don't know. It's it's always felt weird to me uh, for a lot of reasons. So this is a song about the West Memphis Three. And West Memphis Three, the short version, it's three teenagers who were tried and convicted of murder yes. in 1994. Yes, they were three teenagers in uh, West Memphis, Arkansas. And they essentially three young boys were found in, in Robin Hood Woods tied up and uh murdered and they arrested these three kids um because you know the main one damien eccles was kind of like a goth teenager type 
really into metal and goth stuff and uh, him and his cohorts were arrested for it they famously the police famously got a confession out of one of the kids who had um is considered by to be mentally unfit um for such proceedings he has an iq below 100 he was you know uh, i don't want to say confession was beat out of him but that's basically what it was it was very coercive and they went to jail and they were you know uh eccles was on death row it was a big thing and and it kind of got put on my radar because i remember watching an episode of 60 minutes with my mom when i was like pretty young and you know it's an hour-long show and the first half they're just really like driving home why these three teenagers did it and i remember just being like wow like this is awful like they they really sold it in a way that was effective and then they went to a commercial break and they're like and when we're back we'll tell you why they didn't do it and then unraveled why there was doubt and all this and i got really invested in it and i like saw the documentaries and i read the books and i I was like super into this and and you know a couple years later in the in the mid 2000s the west memphis three were really having a moment which is a weird thing to say um yeah sure i i think that that happens kind of often with uh you know criminal cases such as these is that there's a public fascination with the story and yeah. i mean you we see it play out in so many different forms most recently you know making a murderer on netflix or like serial the totally. podcast uh that isn't as good as ours yes um but you know this is one that that grips you and i think that we, a lot of us really just have these these ones that like we get really attached to and we want to know a lot about so you're you're yeah. a teenager and you're identifying with the story and yeah, I mean, I was always interested in true crime, murdery things, but like what I thought found most interesting was, you know, this idea of how little there was to peg these three teenagers to the murders of these three young kids and how like it was really built on just like shoddy police reporting and just like stereotyping, which is obviously a thing that happens you know, in very it happens often. You yeah, know? it's sure. unfortunate. Uh-huh. But I think it's interesting to see how, and especially in a lot of the books I was reading, like Devil's Not, like about this case, like how it was able to influence an entire town, how really the entire town was sold this bill of goods and pursued it so heavily. I mean, there's like, there's a real, you know, subgenre of true crime that's just like, Holcomb, Kansas. Yes, yes. Nowhere, Wisconsin. These little hamlet towns where something unreal happens, and yeah. look who we found. You know, and and so in this era, we have you know Henry Rollins put together that Black Flag tribute record with all his people singing Black Flag songs that benefited them. There's this song. There's a lot of activism. Eddie Vedder, the great Eddie Vedder very involved in it pearl jam great band no cause that i want to get behind more than the one eddie vetter's championing i'm with it uh (laughs) great guy cool band don't let anyone ever tell you pearl jam sucks they're liars who never listened uh but in this in this specific instance i think i felt really weird about it because i was like cool like alkaline trio wrote matt wrote a song about the west memphis three this is a softball pitch to my present interest. Right. I didn't really like how he did it was kind of the thing. And I me. think that that's something that if you are 
ever in the position of having a fascination and you know maybe there's a a biopic coming out sure. or there's a biography i mean if you know a lot about it you are going to get hypercritical and any sort of factual error that's in there you're going to be like uh-uh yeah and i think that's the thing is like i wouldn't say necessarily that it's factual errors but there is some like weird kind of like I think because he needed lyrics to fill out spaces is kind of throwing stuff in there that's like, what, how, how do we get here? And like, you know, there's some weird narrative shifting within it where I think he does a good job of in the verses and even the choruses really not making it super heavy handed. But I've always felt like the bridge is where he gets very didactic about it, is laying it out. And is throwing in these like weird telepathy lines, and it kind of shifts the perspective from the chorus to the uh, slain children, which is kind of odd. And for one of the children to be like beckoning to his uncle, and like there was like the weird familial, like maybe the family did it. Thing. Oh, is that it, part of it? Yeah, it's just like it's it's a weird bargaining that kind of always made it hit my ear really weird, and I think. It's only recently that like I've been able to maybe divorce myself from that a little bit and like not have a knee jerk like oh fuck that song kind of thing. Sure. Because I never disliked it musically really, um, but I just kind of always disliked how inelegant it felt. Right, and maybe like it's that concept of oh okay well Matt's writing about the Donner Party. Matt's writing about Susan Atkins, which interestingly enough i just learned about the manson family when i heard sadie for the first time so. yeah but that trope of like matt is losing it a little bit here is a really really easy thing to not to say that your comedy is easy in any way no it's very high-minded but you know my, my comedy is the draculina of comedy <laughs> It's got layers, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, and who who doesn't love a good layer? M- me. But yeah, th- I I feel like you know we all kind of we all are I think familiar with uh, the the feeling of like yeah this is where Alkaline Trio like loses it sure and this song is you know maybe representative of of that in a way where it's just like yeah you know once they started writing about fucking you know satanism and and freaking started turning documentaries into songs yeah Sorry, yeah i stole that from you yeah, but you uh you know that's kind of where that's kind of where they they fall off now interestingly enough uh-huh my uh my fall from grace with alkaline trio is something that has been documented it's kind of driven this podcast <laughs> yeah it's been a big part of this and when i heard crimson for the first time I was just like, yeah, yeah, I don't like some of these tracks. Some of them I think are okay and kind of moved on from here. I didn't really think too much on Crimson and then everything that came out after that I wasn't very interested in. Sure. But around like 2010, 2011, uh, I was reading Brendan Kelly's blog, The Bad Sandwich Chronicles, very often. Mm -hmm. And he kind of took that narrative about Skiba to task in yes. a post. 
and said that he thought Crimson was the best thing that they've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I'm blown away that he has that perspective and it doesn't seem to be guided by Voices. well <laughs> telepathy uh. um it's not it's not guided necessarily by the fact that you know he's a homie and he's going to sure, want to sure, sure. he's going to want to spread that i remember there's a there's a bouncing souls documentary and they're wrapping it up and and one of one of their friends uh says I think that my favorite one is the next one. And this is like 2009. And it's like, is that really what you think about the Bouncing Souls mm-hmm. in 2009? Yeah. Love love the fact that you're doing it because you're putting one in for the, for the dudes. But the Bouncing Souls are not making their best record after this documentary comes out. To be fair, that documentary came out in 2003. Okay. Okay. So what comes out after that? The Anchors gold record? Away. Anchors Away. I think the record that came out after that cycle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cuz I remember because this is another tangent. I had that DVD and it was like the f- first 15 years of the Bouncing Souls. Now they could make a second one of those cuz they've been a band for 30 years now. Yeah. Cuz it, it, it there's like footage at the end of that of them recording how I spent my summer vacation. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, I definitely I haven't seen it in like Ten years, time. but um, God, that that does kind of reframe things. Well, maybe that's fitting because Anchors Away is a great record. I think the last good one, kind of. I love the first half of the Gold record. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but I had a kind. Of, I'm gonna jump in just because we're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, the Bouncing yeah. Souls. I, I had a friend who had never heard them uh-huh. and was like, "Should I give them a shot?" And I was like, "No, not because I dislike them or not because I don't think some of those records are great or very important to me, but it's like." It's hard for me to be like, you're 30 and you're going to try this for the first time. I don't know if Maniacal Laughter is going to have an impact. You know what? I would argue that, and I think that that's a point that I have this discussion like kind of often where it's just like, there's so much of punk that if you don't hear it before you're 20. Yeah, it's kind of Could you imagine hearing the Dead Kennedys for the first time right now? It It would be... fucking terrible yeah it would not work for me i don't think though i have so much affection for them because of the time right but in college i'll admit it i read a lot of pitchfork sure and i was i started living in a punk house and my friend introduced me to the bouncing souls material that wasn't how i spent my summer vacation Mm -hmm. and i credit that with really bringing me back like into punk huh that's interesting because yeah. they were early for me so it's so tied to that like maniacal after was one of the first three punk records i got you know yeah. and like the, so much everything up through anchors away and, and part of the gold record is like just deep in my core that i kind of never need to listen to it so maybe i'm not having the most objective view of it but it's just like there's there's always on even their best records some stuff that is so youthful. Like I would say maybe how I spent my summer vacation anchors away less so. But those like, are really really solid just productions. Yeah, and everything about those records is is perfect. And I think that I think that hopeless romantic is probably what I would consider their best. Even though there are some goofy tracks on there. Yeah, I mean night on earth is. To, to bring it oh back. yeah, uh, I'm glad you went there. I love that song. Yeah, but anyway, to to the point, 
with Brendan Ryan for Crimson, that's an opinion that I very much know he's authentic about and has not, I don't think he's the type to just not like be critical because he's, he's very much going to say what he wants to say. So for him to kind of lay it on the line for that is like, that is a big kind of like stamp of approval. And I had it, I had it in my CD book that was in my car, and my job after college was delivering sandwiches, because Hell yeah. I'm a waste of space, um, but I remember listening to it a lot, mm-hmm. and just being like, damn, I love this, I love this so much that I'm compelled to go home and listen to it on headphones, which there's never been an Alkaline Trio record that made me want to do that. I really just fell in love with the idea that, like, this is their studio record. This is like when Elvis Costello brings in the guy that engineered Revolver to make Imperial Bedroom just because of what that guy fucking did. I love the way this this record sounds and i really really came around and this i think is is probably like sonically one of my favorite tracks that's on here it's interesting because i think punk has always had a fraught relationship with those type of records like dating back to i don't know end of the century and stuff and just like it's always it's always kind of touch and go but i really do think because i from the get-go is pretty in I always felt like it was a little spotty and there's an exercise that one day we'll do tied to this record. Patreon.com slash as you were. But with this song in particular, because of the lyrics, I think I always kind of put it to the side. And because I think the end of this record is kind of soft comparatively, I think I just kind of always petered out on it or would maybe skip it because I wanted to get to Back to Hell, which I really like. Um, But coming to it now like i there's a lot i like there i still have issues with it but i really like the verses i really like these big synth washes i like how really matt's guitar is almost an auxiliary instrument yo especially in the verses where there's just like a lot of like sound manipulation and there's like almost hip-hop influences to what's going on with like drum patterns yes yes um it's it's fascinating because like I guess my complaint I, I could see a lot of people listening to this who have heard me like shit on that type of thing on later records be like oh you're a hypocrite. What I would say to that is like I like this because there's the full commitment to it. You know, um, I did an interview with someone who talks about how like the worst records by bands are when they don't commit to the bit and they only step halfway in, and that's how I feel about the later stuff. It's like half return to form half kind of produced so it's just kind of nothing whereas this is all the way there yeah so it's you kind of can't help but be like all right well they fucking went for it so i can't hate it for just like throwing in a keyboard part over a bridge or something right or you know a a sound clip or the uh the idea that matt basically doesn't play guitar (laughs) until the the chorus and then the and then the bridge um but I think that I have kind of benefited from, I guess, the the new perspective with, with which I was looking at this, where I, Crimson, I don't spend as much time, like, diving into the lyrics because I've just kind of learned to, like, let it wash over me the way sure. the, the, like, pop music does, where, you know, 
listen to a fucking ABBA record. Those things sound no. amazing. Pass. Just pretend that they're singing in Swedish. Um, but the, you know, the point about this being the part that represents the whole, like, oh, we wrote a song about the West Memphis Three. You don't really notice that. Yeah, yeah. Until he gets to the bridge. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's always been my negative reaction is like, I'm into it for two thirds of the way. And we were even talking about it before and I was like, oh, I kind of hate the bridge. And you're like, oh, I really like it. And when we listened to it, I was like, no, the bridge is good. I just bristle at the lyrics. And when I put that out of my brain, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Well, what do you not like about the the lyrics in the bridge? Uh, th- there's a lot of things. Um, as we outlined with like the kind of narrative shifting, I always kind of dislike the I'm screaming Uncle Mercy Me when Mercy Me is a song on this record. The broken telepathy line. Well, I, that's... I I like that callback. I think I, he's never done that before. And when I hear that, I'm like, oh, sick. See, but that's the thing is because I always read it as like, oh, he just fucked up. Like it was, He forgot he wrote a song called Mercy Me. Or this came before it. And, like, I don't know. That always... It's a dumb thing, but, like, the telepathy, I hated that rhyme. I hated the implication of that into this very real situation of him bringing in, like, you know, this mystical element I didn't really appreciate. You know, and then the really heavy-handed ending of, like, the Bloodless River Bank, West Memphis, please. Like, it just always was, like... He put, he tried to put the entire case into four lines. It feels like the concluding paragraph of this song. Yeah. And, um, I like the chorus, but then afterwards, when that chorus would come in after, I'd be like, oh, yeah, blew it. Yeah, blew it. You know, I kind of, I, I do have that feeling a little bit with the, the third chorus. It's, it's unnecessary. And, you know, I, think that when I hear them go through the guitar line one time without the lyrics on that last chorus, I'm always like, just do that and throw a bunch of shit on top of it. Uh, yeah, you know, I you don't need the lyrics. Too, is like, even if they did the bridge and did that stuff I don't like, and then it built instead of into a chorus, just to an, a bigger outro thing would be really cool. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I'm doing a lot of armchair quarterbacking with this song because there's stuff in it I really like and there's stuff I really don't. Yeah. And, uh, but, but again, I'm kinder to it because it's, the highs are really high in it, I think. And I, I really like the commitment to doing a song like this. I think it's really cool. And I think it's cool to hear Matt's kind of early demos on the Crimson Deluxe version because it, a lot of those elements were present. He was already kind of committed to this. This wasn't something that was kind of built in the studio. He clearly had a vision for how he wanted the song to play. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think he just awesome. worked really well with the, with the producer who I think understood like, you know, what was kind of in vogue then. Yes. Cause this, this does sound like, you know, this sounds like a pop punk band going for it in mid two thousands, but it's yeah. also got, I think a a good ageless grace to it. It doesn't yes. sound like, you know, 
it doesn't sound like my chemical romance records sound now it sounds really fucking good sure and i think that's like a tonal thing with a lot of what's happening on the record but also like you know there there are subtle what i felt like callbacks in this like i've always read those kind of like clap parts is like oh that always felt like a callback to while you're waiting to me mm-hmm. um when they inserted that into like the very near the end and like i think yeah to me it's i like how big the synths are i like what they're going for i like them reaching for it because i do think they achieve it and i think the best stuff on crimson really does hit it i've always been able to understand why a song like this or some of the stuff on this record that i really like would be someone's like eh, okay well i think i'm done I think I'm out point. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's interesting to go back to songs like this, which I would always have put in like the lower tier of this record and kind of be like, maybe that's a little unfair. Yeah. I think that, um, what I really, really like about this track and kind of the way that I think about it, because I don't really go for your neck and and smoke those tracks don't really do anything for me so in a lot of ways this is the song that i kind of associate with being the second to last track on the record and i always liked the callback what i read as a callback to mercy me because you know mercy me and my broken telepathy sounds like what would have been uh you know thrown into the mix on that song totally but this has a a feeling too of sort of like this is kind of bringing it all together as and and it's and it's something that you know they don't do it all the time but like trucks and trains has a really similar feel to that too where it's kind of like we're getting ready to like wind things down here let's let's do something big and let's try to let's try and like put a blank uh, like a statement over kind of everything that's happened before sure. before we hit that last track i mean i think that's a good point to to use trucks and trains as an example because i think that song is kind of underrated in a lot of respects in my opinion because i think it serves that function well it may be not the strongest standalone song but i think it it, it does something on a record that's needed and i would argue prevent this tragedy does it goes back to my argument that I think Crimson is poorly sequenced. Um, there is a song I'm going to say to you, say this to you after we're done because I don't want to give it away for the episode where we get into that song. But there is there's a song that has always been like, oh, I someone heard that and then made that the end of their record and people love it. And I think if Crimson was reframed that way, I think people would read that song really differently. Oh. But but I think I think Prevent This Tragedy is very purposeful and similarly it it signals a downshift, but the downshift takes a long time. And that's kind of the issue here. To me this should be second to last song, the song I alluded to at the end, very different end to this record. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, we can we can only do so much um but you know crimson i think is it's one it's a record that i think i'm really thankful for not just because we're doing a thing where we talk about this band at great lengths but sure this is this is you know the record where you're getting a lot of people's different opinions yes. and they're impassioned and i think that it's also a record that you can really 
sway people one way or the other on. And I that's a lot of fun. I definitely got a lot of people into this band because of this record. Because of that time and that place of it being poppy and accessible enough to like get kids who are not into punk into it. And there were enough good songs where like I could convince the punks who were a little too cool for it that I was like, well, come on, man. Time to waste. Like, yeah. Jam. <laughs> jam. <laughs> what do you rate this one? This is going to sound harsh, but with everything I said, I'm giving it three. Uh, Bloodless River Brinks out of five because there was the West Memphis three. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and I'm going to give this a four. Four out of five. West Memphis four out of five. Great. Um, Hey, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. We're on Twitter at AsYouWerePod, Patreon.com slash AsYouWere. That's a cool way for you to support the show. We have some dope incentives in exchange for your patronage, some longer episodes where we talk about alkaline trio related topics some Mm -hmm. swag also hey we have some plans in store seeing as though we are coming up on october yes the 20th anniversary of the release of god damn it so big deal for us i think you would uh you would agree probably mm-hmm. um so we've got some plans for that uh we're not going to give them all the way up top but you know we want to be as interactive as we can through that so uh you know you'll you'll be hearing from us especially if you're over on the patreon and yeah you know so we'll have some some polls going up there it'll be a little bit more active than uh than the huge and that's uh, that's because we we love our patrons, but we love all y'all, and we do this because we enjoy spending time together and talking about uh, this band that we love, and we are so glad to hear that you're enjoying the conversation just the same. So hey, this week, do us all a favor. Somebody that you're thinking of, that maybe you maybe you bonded over with this band back in the day, send this to them. Like, hey, there's these two guys. They talk about Alkaline Trio. They talk about Alkaline Trio, like, a lot. For a long time. Um, Let them know what we're up to. Uh, It's been very, very dope, the reception that we're getting for this. It's continually humbling. um, Because, yeah, we we just wanted to do a podcast that we didn't have to stress over. Yes. And that's, that's really what it started as, was what can we do? once a week and just have fun with and this is what we came up with so we'll be back next week for the beginning of of god damn it month over here on as you were so we'll see you then thanks brothers the flames of hell they give me hope i drown